Hello, I'm Dave, and welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Presents. These are some special episodes of the Stand Up Tragedy podcast where we bring to you some full-length shows, some hour-long shows which we've recorded at some of our Stand Up Tragedy Presents events. The next Stand Up Tragedy Presents will be on the 18th of February at the Dog Star in Brixton and it's going to be my solo show, What About the Men, Mansplaining Masculinity, followed by Jambi McGrath's solo show, A Last Dance with My Father. The doors open at 7.30 and it's pay what you think the shows are worth. For the next four to six weeks, every fortnight we'll be putting out a full show for you to listen to. All of the shows focus on complicated, seldom talked about issues around identity and around the world that we live in. If you haven't listened to it already, I recommend listening back to the show we put out two weeks ago, which was Matilda Gregory's How to Be Fat. Today's show is Howl of the Banty by AJ McKenna, and it was recorded back in November 2015. If you want to find out more about what AJ does and check out her shows that are coming up, follow her on Twitter at Anathema Jane. Stand Up Tragedy wants to make audiences cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry and to create a safe space to talk about unsafe things. And the unsafe things in this episode include references to rape, description of sexual assault, transphobia, death, racism, violence and murder. So those are the kind of things that are going to be coming up in today's show. It's a pretty heavy show, but it's a really important and powerful show too. If you don't want to hear about stuff like that today, please don't listen on. And for the rest of us, it's my delight to introduce this amazing blend of poetry, personal anecdote and powerful, painful rhetoric. So, uh, hi, Brixton. Uh, and I'm, hi, I'm AJ McKenna, uh, and this is Howl of the Banty. This is a show that I haven't done um, since the end of its fringe run in Edinburgh. What I've been doing instead since that time is uh, touring as part of a, a group show called Public Address, my part of which show involves getting people from the audience to throw rice at me and fire water pistols at me while I read random things pulled out of a bucket to the audience. Uh, the reason I've been doing that is because I kind of have an issue with the dynamic uh, of spoken word events that the poet is treated like a kind of, of prophet who stands on stage and tells everyone how it fucking is, motherfucker, for an hour. Um, and this is a show where I stand on stage and tell people how it is, motherfucker, for, uh, for an hour. So, yeah, um, it's also not quite the same show that it was in Edinburgh, which, again, was not quite the same show that it was um, when we previewed it in Newcastle before going to Edinburgh. It is an evolving show. It does go through changes. Um, one change which has been very nice is this particular venue. When I was performing in Edinburgh, we were in a venue that was very, very far outside of the main drag of the fringe, which was great for a show which is about being marginalised. Um, <laughs> This meant we got generally very, very small audiences, which again is great because revolutions don't start with 
you know, big groups of people. They start with small, tightly organized groups. And so what I would tell people every night was that I was trying to get them to be my small, tightly organized group. You are a significantly larger um, and hopefully still organized group than the people who came to those shows. Um, Not least the people who came on Wednesday. Uh, The Wednesday night was a fantastic part of the run because I basically really, really oversold the trigger warning. Um, there, are, there is some quite heavy stuff in this show. Um, there is a poem about being sexually assaulted, but it's basically about someone grabbing my tits in a wood. Um, but I sold it during the trigger warning as if I was basically doing, and then he put me in a room. Um, it wasn't that bad. But the three people who came that night left after the trigger warning. So I was in the unfortunate position of intellectually, socially, and politically absolutely massively supporting the concept of trigger warnings, but emotionally really fucking resenting them because I just lost my entire fucking audience. So that said, if you do want to leave, you can leave. I'm... The same as Dave, I do not want people to be traumatised by my show. I don't think you will be. Um, There is some heavy stuff in here. Um, Revolutions need groups of people to organise them, and what they also need is villains. And I think if this show has a villain, then that villain is Jeremy Clarkson. Because I don't think anyone sums up banter culture more than a man who actually physically punched one of his co-workers and then had a million people write a petition saying that any attempt by the BBC to discipline him for doing this would be an unconscionable attack on his freedom of speech. (laughs) And this led me to wonder about freedom of speech and whose freedom of speech in society is accepted and whose freedom of speech in society is protected. And it seems to me that it's the freedom of speech of MPs slagging off teachers. It's the freedom of speech of homophobic street preachers, rich white men who call disabled people leeches, leading me to wonder who the fuck is free speech for? Because it seems like it's free speech to say slope and pikey, but if I say kill all men, I'm not behaving very nicely? It seems like it's free speech to respect the Paris satirists, because freedom of speech must mean the right to be offensive. But it isn't free speech if you won't kneel before a poppy because that's an act of sacrilege, an insult to the squaddies. We have a PM who's so venal that he's even worse than Blair, a chief judge who's a racist and a Voltaire-quoting mayor who once asked one of his posh boy mates to beat a journo up. But Jeremy is a free speech hero, and the blow he struck should be a shot heard round the world. So says some guy called Guido, who doesn't care that Thatcher's cabinet was full of men of questionable character, and wants to march to Downing Street and bravely take a stand for the right of billionaires to punch their fellow man. The principles, the thing you see, the principle is... This. Any man who's white and says and adequately rich should never face the consequence of what they do when pissed. That's why girls who wind up raped by soccer stars are asking for it. That's why women who say we've been victimized are basking in it. That's why lads on stag nights gas that every lass is gagging for it. That's why sports presenters chuckle about smashing it in. This is not about one punch. This is about the patriarchy. Rule by rich old white cis men who get away with murder by distracting you with pictures of a woman in a burqa or a miniskirt or anything a camera lens can please. 
Because it seems that women's clothes are evidently not protected speech when what we wear can be the difference of conviction and acquittal on the basis that rapes fated if we're wearing very little. And if you've been drinking, baby, what the hell did you let yourself in for? You can't say you've not consented when we know you've had a skinful. Listen, do the math, my love. You'll find it's really simple. Woman plus drink minus clothes, you deserved it. Man plus rich plus white equals impervious. And I was always worried about doing that poem before I went up to do the Edinburgh Run because it was all very well me saying that Clarkson was impervious, but I was always worried about people coming up to me after the show and saying, well, you say that. You say that, but he was fired by the BBC. Yes, he was, so he wasn't impervious. Little Miss A.J. McKenna, social justice warrior poet, he was fired. You, you got him fired. Oh, are you happy with that now? And I was genuinely worried that someone was going to come and say that, and I was basically saved from that angry fictional man that I've just invented by Amazon, who decided to commission Clarkson and the other two to make a new series that they're going to call Cars or Vroom or Shiny Metal Objects or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's uh, me as an author actually being grateful to Amazon because then I could just say, ha-ha, yes, well, he did get away with it. Um, there is an irony in the fact that there's a part of this show I haven't memorised yet because I just wrote it recently and I am having to read it from a Kindle. Um, <laughs> please don't judge me. Um, But yeah, the fact, though, that banter culture excused a physical act in the case of Jeremy Clarkson indicates that it isn't just words. It's never just words. It's often accompanied by words, but it can hurt people physically. And this next poem is about the way in which boys being boys kind of hurt me. This is called A Common Assault. And it wasn't just words, although the word they started with was titties. You shouted as your hand went in, grabbed a fist of what was boy flesh, then, laughing, wandered off with your mates through the burn, shirtless, with your flat pectorals showing where mine in summer heat kept cover under baggy fabric, shaven-headed, strutting, four of you and one me, too shocked to even do a thing about it. Did I shout out, then keep walking? Maybe. Or did nothing? Certainly I never called the police. Boys didn't. Boy was what they said I was a boy, but titted, womanly, worth less than boys who put their chests on show as soon as skies suggested there was sun enough to bear brute muscle and its predatory promise to the hungering eyes of girls too young to know such muscles bared will turn in time against the bodies they exploit and claim to love. Perhaps I stood. Perhaps I couldn't move at first. The memory is not neat. What I recollect is fractured incomplete, bad evidence, poor recall of your features, cis-white skinheads, you all look the same to me, pale chests that never seem to tan, and eyes that look on others but as creatures put on earth to please you, give you laughs, Asian, female, queer, disabled, fat, all sacrificed, To your idea of fun, the thought of feeling guilt for what you'd done occurred not once to one of you, I'm sure. 
Guilt shadowed me instead from then to now. Guilt for not resisting. Letting you lean in and grab the flesh you found absurd. And guilt for having enough to grab for not conforming to your perfect shape. Guilt that I'd invited demi-rape by daring to be out-possessing flab. But you did it. The crime went unreported, at least till now. I wish I knew your name. I'd say it here and have no fear what court said. I'd willingly ensure your dose of fame, but I don't know you. One boy in a wood was all you were, and all I seemed to be. Now, growing daily into womanhood, I probe the deeper outlines of the memory. I see in your likeness far too many men who, sensing I was not at all like them, felt they were given license to abuse, some verbally, some violently, all chose to treat mine as a body less than human. Before the makeup and the clothes, the laser, was it the incongruity of my behavior or just my tits that marked me out as vermin? Was it these lumps of flesh which so offended this body, which was not so simply gendered as your own? Did it invite your grasping hand when you felt it? Did you like the thing you grabbed? Is that why you recoiled? walked off so quickly, didn't look back, laughing like your other friends. Is that alone the thing that makes you guilty, the thought that you too might not be all man within their broken calculus of manhood? Is that the thought which keeps you up at night? I hope so. I hope you cry that it feels so good. Now, think about my tits, dear, and sleep tight. And you may have noticed during that particular performance that I spend a lot of time looking at the empty seats there. And this, again, is something that I decided to start doing in Edinburgh because I do a lot of writing poems in second person, a lot of poems where I use you a lot, where I'm addressing someone And that can be quite a powerful technique. In workshops, I sell it to people as the idea of writing back to people that you feel you can't talk back to in real life for whatever reason you're afraid of them. But it does create a bit of a weird dynamic at an event like this because um, if I'm making eye contact with you or making eye contact with you or making eye contact with you and then I'm going on about what a racist douche bucket you are, I mean, um, you, may, you may be a racist douche bucket, but I'm going to guess that, that you probably aren't if you're in a stand-up tragedy audience. Uh, so what I invented to get around this um, is the invisible racists, who are people who sit in the empty chairs and who basically, not just racists really, they're invisible homophobes, invisible transphobes, invisible, um, you know, basically for purposes of a lot of this show, just imagine they're invisible Jermaine Greers dotted around the audience um, and you'll be all right. This, This next poem, this is a poem about some very visible racists. And it's about the time they came to Newcastle, where I'm from. I don't sound like I'm from Newcastle. I am from there. Um, And, well, actually, I'm from a town called Washington, which is just outside of Newcastle. Um, And Washington's kind of interesting because it's technically part of Sunderland, 
And uh, the ward it's in in Sunderland is one of the first wards that declares during the election. By the way, that was a really nice election we had, wasn't it? Did anyone else? I mean, I... um, I spent that entire evening, that entire election night, refreshing my Twitter feed, refreshing my Facebook feed and looking at the results coming in and basically just feeling like someone was repeatedly punching me in the stomach. Now, I'm a masochist, so normally that's a really good night for me, but not not that particular feeling. Um, But yeah, Washington and Sunderland are one of the first constituencies that declares during the election, and I knew it was going to be a bad night there because obviously Labour won. But in those constituencies, the vote that came second to Labour was UKIP. And that meant that I'd spent time at school with people who'd looked at what UKIP were offering and had thought, yeah, yeah, I like that. People, people who think gay marriage caused hurricanes. Yeah. Um, so I think nothing explains this show more than the fact that I grew up in a town full of UKIP supporters. Um, and this is about people who... UKIP would say strenuously don't um, support them, that they aren't the supporters they want to attract, but they are the supporters they attract. This is about the time the EDL came to Newcastle, and it's called 25513. I'm not offended by the fact that others aren't the same as me. How the fuck would I be regularly the only one in the room? Can't recall if Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou advises not to be that, but I never had a choice. Grew up always knowing I'd not be one of the boys, never certain of unquestioning acceptance as a girl. There are times I feel as if it isn't just rooms, but the world that there's no one else like me in. And I don't mean I'm unique. I don't mean that I'm artisan, handmade, bespoke, boutique, hipster, I mean, the world feels like a funfair where I'm wheeled in as a freak, accepted as a turn because I learned to entertain you, a lust object to chasers who think girls like me are angels but don't care about our halos. Just the thing between our legs, because when a chick has dick plus tits, who gives a shit about her intellect? Now, if I can deal with this day after day, night after night, why are you so angry that some people just aren't white? Because that's what it's about. Don't try to hide behind religion. Don't say you're not racist, that you just object to Islam. Because if that's the case, then why were your mates casing the good wara? Sikhs aren't Muslims. This is basic. You lot really should work harder at learning to distinguish one brown person from another. But why try when the one thing you're not blind to is their colour? And just as you deny that you've selective colour vision, you lie and claim you even have an LGBT division when there's nothing behind those initials but your cynicism. I missed the running battle when you gathered in Newcastle because I was lying back on a couch wearing black and tanning goggles, having IPL, intense pulse light beams fired at my face. And yes, it hurt like hell, but didn't feel like the disgrace I felt when I had to cross the street to get away from you. The way I hung out in the library when I was back in school. Because I knew you owned the yard but didn't own the future. You were nasty, you were odd, and I was just a loser who wanted to be Kitty Pride instead of Wolverine. I was going somewhere. I never told you about my dream because I knew that boys like you interpret difference as a weakness. I kept it safe, I kept it secret, but I knew that I'd achieve this. 
But I crossed the street when you pitched up mob-handed in my city, munching on free fry-ups from the welcoming committee at a pub that I won't name, but which pretends it's Gotham shittily. You were drinking, cussing, busting from as far away as Brighton, all just here for a ruck. It wasn't just me that was frightened. On the bus back home, apologists insisted you were peaceful, but you didn't look calm, plotted up down there by the cathedral, and you didn't look zen, shirtless, shouting on the evening news, though that's not surprising. Half ten? and already on the booze and you claim that you're defending all that's good in this society? Just what is it you're protesting against? Sobriety? (laughs) Notice the subtle way I got the water drinking. (laughs) There's nothing you can ever say that will enlighten me. Because you live in the dark ages, even dress up as crusaders, burn Korans while never understanding what's within their pages, the quotes you choose selected so that you can prove it's twisted. But I bet that you eat shellfish and still claim to be a Christian. Leviticus 11.10 forbids that. Why not check it? You'll never prove you know the truth by sampling riffs from holy books which say will know you by your fruits when what you bear is rotten before it's even off the tree. Maybe you've forgotten the story about Muhammad Ali when he refused the draft. Well, he would tell reporters, whenever he was asked why he wouldn't go to Vietnam, swap gloves for pulling triggers, was that no one in the Viet Cong had ever called him. Yeah. Now, maybe you deny it, but I think that's kind of classy, and that's why I'll never march beside you. Because no Muslim called me tranny. You may have noticed I'm trans. I I, I took a couple of subtle references to that into a few of the poems there. Um, Yeah. Um, And, you know, no one one I've known who's been a Muslim has actually called me tranny. Plenty of of non-Muslim people have done it. Plenty of cis people. Um, Probably at this point, just a very, very quick knowledge check. Anyone in the room who doesn't know what the word cis means? That is great. That is fantastic. I'm still going to do this bit because it has a joke in that I really like. Um, and basically, cis is the opposite of trans. And you see it in a lot of different contexts. If you're a chemist, you'll be familiar with it. It's a prefix that's used a lot in chemistry. Um, if you're a, a classicist or um, a Roman history buff, um, you'll see it used in uh, cis alpine Gaul. Probably quite a good crossover between Roman history buffs and people here tonight, I should imagine. Um, and it's actually not even a very, very new word in a sexual context, in a gender context. The earliest use of the word cis in the context of gender occurs in a book called Lexicon der Gesamten Sexual Lebens by a German doctor called Ernst von Buchard. This was published in 1914. And obviously in those days, people's understanding of gender variants were slightly less sophisticated than we have today. So they basically looked at it through the lens of uh, transvestism, of dressing up in the clothes of the opposite gender, which they saw as primarily a sexual fetish. And because this book was part of that big 19th century classifying project, what they thought was... Well, if you're going to have transvestites, if you're going to have people who are excited by wearing the clothes of the gender opposite to the one they were assigned at birth, you have to have cisvestites as well. You have to have people who are turned on by wearing the clothes that match the gender they were assigned at birth. And I, I like telling that story for two reasons. One of which is that, you know... Cis in a gender context, which is such a new word, um, was being used over 100 years ago. Um, But also, I just like to try and imagine how cisvestites ever get anything done. (laughs) 
you know, because, like, you know, you're getting ready, you're getting for work in the morning, and you're like, yeah, I'm getting ready for work. I'm a man. So I wear a tie. I wear a tie because I'm a man. Yeah, I, I wear a... I wear it. Oh, fuck work. I'm getting on the fat train, baby. Yeah, no. You know, so this, uh, my, my theory, my theory about that is that cisvestism is directly connected to being a nudist. Because I think the only way that people like that could get anything done would be to not wear clothes altogether. Or, or to actually be forced for their entire lives to wear clothing opposite to the gender that they feel themselves to be. Imagine what that feels like. (laughs) See how I seamlessly worked a serious point into that. Um, So, yeah, I'm using the word cis. A lot of people don't like the word cis. A lot of people say that, you know, they don't like all these new words. They don't like all these initials. They don't like we have things like demisexual, polysexual, polyamorous, pansexual. They don't like we have LGBTQIA, quilt bag. They just, they they don't like labels. They want there to be no labels. They think that we should just accept that actually deep down we're all just people. Now the interesting thing about these guys, and they are mostly guys, um, is if you look at their grinder profiles. <laughs> or their Tinder profiles, or their Badoo profiles, or their FetLife profiles, or you know, whatever site or app they're using in order to arrange the fucking. Um, and if you look at them, for people who don't like labels, they really, really do seem to use a lot, you know? No femmes. Mask for mask only. No chocolate. No rice. Wimbin, spelt with a B and a Y, naturally. Born Wimbin only. No TVs, CDs, TSs, TGs. No TVs, CDs, TSs, TGs. No TVs. I am not a TV. I am not available in flat screen, Sony widescreen, high definition 3D. I am not something for you to gawp at from your cis-normative settee starring... Eddie Redmayne or (laughs) Chloe Sevigny. I don't air jokes about folks like me by blokes who might as well be racists on a nightly basis. I am not a TV. I am in the process of a big switch over, but that didn't start in 2012, thanks to my PCT, which is now a CCG and only just got talking with my GIC, and it will not be digital, at least not initially. I am not a TV. I am not a CD. I am not exactly long enough to hold all of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I like to think I contain so much more. I am not a CD, though I have been allowing a lady with a laser to unlock me, firing her beams into my pits and grooves, re-editing my data, remixing me into what I want to be. But I am not a DAT, a minidisc, an MP3, a DVD, or WMV, and I am not a CD. I am not a TS. My world is not a wasteland waiting for the touch of Fisher Kings, though I have seen death undo so many. Andrea, Brenda, Mariah, Estrella, Myra, Faith, Amanda, and all those with no ID. Sweet ladies who were never bad good night and had time called in spite of how they hurried, but who were more in their time than Elliot's tired seer, more than his Rheingold borrowings and sophistries alive. 
undoing death with every step across the bridge from one state to another. I may wind up measuring my life in every dose of HRT, but TS is not a label that you get to pin on me. And I am not a TG. I am not a droid, a replicant, a Nexus 3. I am not a minor character from STTNG. I am not a space oddity. There is nothing futuristic about me. Those who live like me are found throughout your history. Herculean Baba, the Chevalier d'Or, the Priest of Attis, Elo Gabalus, the Amazons, Maul Cutpurse, Jan Morris, Lily Elbig, Christine J, Nong Tum, Wendy Carlos, Leah T, Lynn Conway, without whom I couldn't type this on my PC. But there is nothing futuristic about me. I am not a label. I am not a category. My only initials are AJ, and you will respect that about me. So if you come for me with labels intended to dehumanize, to delegitimize my trajectory, to project your own lack of humanity on me, I will change your channel. Make your tracks skip. Rewrite your past and your future the way you want to edit me. So if you please, respectfully, hear and acknowledge me. I am not a TV, a CD, a TS, a he, she, a she male, a scam, a trap, a pretendbian Miss Brennan, or even a TG. I am Anathema Jane McKenna. I am me. And I am feeling kind of, um, this, is, this is really, really bad. I, yeah, it's been a long time. You know, like the, the piece I've been doing is only about like 20 minutes long. And this is the first time I've had to do an hour-long show in such a long time. And I, I kind of really, really need to go right now. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the toilets, they're down some stairs. And they're like just about everywhere in London. They're down even more stairs. So they're in a basement. And there's quite a lot of graffiti on those doors. They're kind of, you know, kind of intimidating. So what I'm going to do, if it's totally okay with you guys, is I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm basically just going to do it on stage. That's okay. It's, it's, it's a fringe show. It's not at the fringe now, but it is. We can do this. It's good. It's performative. It's different. It's confronting the body. That's all we can, we can explain it as that. Okay. So, yeah. Am I taking up space you thought you had reserved? Am I making my face to at home in your world, impinging a little too much on your scene? Do you think that my motive's here? might be obscene, and I'll clue you in to my nefarious scheme. I'm peeing. That's all I'm here for. I don't want to fuck. I'm not turned on by urine. Knock-off toilet duck and the presence of numerous tampon machines are not really a feature of my lewdest dreams. I'm here to perform an act of micturition. And I'd like to be left in peace for the duration exactly as you would. I'll not hassle you, shout out, good God, a cis woman having a poo. And here we thought blossoms fell out of your asses. Turns out there's not that much difference between the lads and the lasses, except in here there isn't that much of a chance of a massive transphobic bastard deciding to police how I gender express with his fists and his knees. Not that ladies are safer. Ask Chrissy Lee Polis. And we mustn't forget I'm from where Cheryl Cole lives. Right, I need to step out of the poem for a second here um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, yeah, I know it's Cheryl Fernandez-Vicini. 
now, okay? Um, I, do, I do write uh, as part of my, you know, other writing stuff. I write for a pop culture website. I know all the names of the celebrities. It's a required thing to do that. So I know it's Cheryl Fernandez Vecini. I've not came up with a, a rhyme for that that I can shoehorn back into the poem. Um, the other thing is, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old. And I'm aware that, you know, some of the references I use are getting a bit dated. So does everyone know what that's a reference to, yeah? Um, Cheryl fernandez Vecinias, she's now cool, as she was shortly after that incident, uh, beating up uh, and racially abusing a lavatory attendant in a toilet. Um, is what that is a reference to. So, you know, people endangered in toilets by me, uh, nil. People endangered in toilets by Cheryl Cole, at least one so far. So, yeah. Um, will that do, Mr. Lawyer? Reckon so? Sweet, see, getting sued? Would mean I couldn't pay for my vegan. I'm too fat for shoplifting now, then. Where were we? Ah, yes, this perception that it's somehow pervy to pee in a toilet at one with one's gender. Well, get this down. Turns out, not one sex offender has ever decided, not one man, not ever, to engage in an act of willing cross-dressing to smuggle their wicked bits over the threshold and contribute to the continued oppression of women through raping and sexual violence. Not one case, one instance. But you do the science. Search for cases where women like me are assaulted for daring to do what we do in these toilets. If you find just two cases you'll find two times more than these mythical rapists. But it's not about scores. It's about this. You see, there's a lock on this door. And outside, there's a world where each day of my life, I wake honestly not knowing if I'll survive, whether someone will kill me, or I'll just give in to this feeling of not being at home in my skin, to the verbal abuse and the threats of real beatings, to the press which, despite Levison, despite Wheating, still wheels out girls like me to be pantomime villains, bringing smiles to the eyes of the guys who would kill us, and kill us they do. Check the TDOR website for how many murders there are every year, every year, every year, every year, every... Look, there's the lock. I should feel safe behind it. I'm not here on the prowl, dear. I'm here because I'm hiding. Here's the thing about that poem. When I perform that poem these days, I'm kind of lying. And it's not because of any of the substantive stuff in the poem. It's because of the fact that I wrote that poem five years ago. So when I have lines in it about not being comfortable in my skin, that's how I felt then when I wrote that particular poem. But I've been on estrogen now for almost two years. I've been on testosterone blockers since this April. I feel a lot more comfortable in my skin. But there's something else about my skin that I'm leaving out in that poem as well, and that is that my skin is white. And that as much as I may feel uncomfortable in toilets, as much as I may sometimes feel uncomfortable in the street, I'm a white middle-class trans woman from England. I'm reasonably safe. I'm not in anywhere near as much danger as trans women of colour around the world. And tomorrow is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Um, one of the key central points of this show is the idea that banter has a body count. And... This poem, which is 
the most recently written part of this show, is about that. Um, it's a poem that I wrote for a, a Trans Day of Remembrance event in Teesside, uh, near where I come from. And it's called A Memorial. And it follows the same structure as Memorial by Alice Oswald, um, if any of you are familiar with that particular poem. Banter has a body count. And for trans people, we begin that count again every November. And so this year's list begins in Georgia, in Tbilisi, with an unknown woman who will not be the last we will not name this year. Then Gizzy Fowler gunned down in front of her home just days before last year's memorial, but too late for the lists. And Deshonda Sanchez shot while she pounded on a door asking for help. Kaimori Shatoya Johnson shot in Albany, Georgia, USA. And Marisol Almeida found dead in Ecuador on Christmas Eve 2014. And this year, Pappy Edwards was the first to die. On a January morning before the day had time to warm, found shot dead in the parking lot of the Fern Valley Hotel. And with Pappy, this year's dance began. Conflicting genders in the news reports, refusal to investigate as hate crime, all the same old songs as when a bullet entered Lamia Beard's body and blood began to pool beneath her where she lay down on the sidewalk and her dead name bubbled up from some reporters' throats with talk of past convictions, as if they were trying to imply this world was somehow just, that bodies like Lamia and Pappy's had committed some sin other than not being white, not being cis, not being right, not fitting in. And what sin was committed by the unknown woman shot to death in Badba, Pakistan? For what crime was Pio de Silva tortured to death in Brazil, as if anything justifies that? As if Ty Underwood did anything more than tell her cis boyfriend she no longer wished to see him? As if Hande Onku did anything more than move to Turkey seeking refuge, as so many cis women would seek it this year? As if Yasmin Vashpain did anything other than argue with her boyfriend? Now one is lost to the full stops left by bullets. One lost strangled naked, her hands and legs bound, the other to the lines, blades draw in flesh. As if Leo in Brazil deserved the pictures of her body on the websites reporting her shooting, as if Pata in Brazil had deserved to be strangled, as if Didinha deserved to be shot. Some had not turned the pages of their calendars. When Joyce Akira was brought down by bullets, a teen Antaya Gabriel de Jesus was found in a stairwell, an activist, a woman of the church, giver of food to those who needed it, but a knife ended her multiple times, held, they say, in the hand of a man who hung himself a block away, and they didn't call it a hate crime. Like Penny Proud just got shot by a robber, easy to explain it all away when you look only at the bullet's path and not the path that led a body to transect it, easy too to get a name and pronouns wrong. This they did. Those left behind so often have to fight to give the dead their names. They fought for Penny. They fought over what's called Bry Golek, whose family called her man after her death. It was her father's hand which held the knife that stabbed her. Two stories clashed in Akron on a February night. Only one needed to kill. Christina Gomez-Reinwald had two names for work and life and died twice. Once ruled suicide, later ruled homicide. Another woman murdered by her boyfriend, some said her ex who took the life of the woman they sometimes called Christina Grant Infinity. Her name, a kind of prayer. 
Raisa stabbed to death in Campaña Grande was granted only 19 years, and Capitu Santos was 31 years old when the final knife ended her body. And now for the first time I say an unknown woman was shot somewhere in Brazil. I will add more to that number. Sumaya Dalmar was sometimes known to use the surname Yusil. It was this name which appeared in the early reports of her death, a death unsolved. The same day, a 16-year-old called Lara was stoned to death, and two days later, a woman called Katie stabbed ten times, both in Brazil. We will hear a lot more from Brazil. In the same single day, Natalia Ferraz and Igor Fernando Oliveira Santos were both lost to multiple bullets. The police say Keisha Blige's death was definitely no hate crime. The same police who got her name wrong when reporting her death. So a murder in March was only known about in August when a wind blows from the Gulf of Mexico, north of where another unknown woman was found with bullets in her, north of where Michael Lucas de Almeida Reginald was beaten and stabbed to death at the age of 13 in Sao Paulo, north of where Bianca Araujo was shot to death in Fortaleza, 21 years old, north of where Adriana was shot multiple times in Mato Grosso do Sul, north of where Lotinha was stabbed in Manaus to London from the warmth of the equator to a city cold in spring. So came Vanessa Santillan from the city of her childhood to the city where she died beneath the fists of spousal jealousy. Her bodybuilder husband cried she didn't take him seriously. After killing her, he visited a brothel. Such a morally serious man. A wrong turning on a road in Baltimore. And a woman dies at the guns of the NSA. Some say this doesn't count as murder. Call it tragic accident. I say state violence is still violence. I say there's nothing accidental in cock bullets fired at black trans skin. I say Maya Hall belongs in my list. Vanessa Ganzaroli stabbed again and again in Petrolina as some browsed their first quarter reports. Have you been counting? Did you count Deborah, stoned to death in Mugimiram? The two unknown women murdered at a wedding that month in Pakistan. Victoria Camargo, shot in Venancio Ayres. Bruna Michelle, 20 years old, beat to death in Belo Horizonte. Bruna Kelthia, 15 years old, shot to death in Vila Vela. Another Bruna in Vitoria, Espirito Santo, defeated, giving up the ghost to yet another gun. And another unknown woman strangled in Manaus. Hob Rodriguez de Silva, shot to death in Porto Bello. Diosvani Munoz Robena. Stephanie. Another unknown woman shot in Curitiba. Almaruf Bishli, found dead and mutilated in Pakistan. Three women gunned down in that country, Saima, Shazadi, Shazaib, Billy. Lamonique de Roma shot to death in Sao Paulo. One man killed London Chanel, her boyfriend. A domestic incident was how the police described it, as they would. We know a trans woman argued with a cis man, and we know which one is dead. We know so many trans women die in Brazil, and we know the names we know are a fraction of their number. We know Vandressa Vinit is one of those names. We know she died by gunshot. No such little else about her. No more do we know about Titian Abramavel, dead the same day. Not the only such day this dark year, nor the most deaths on a day. Jean Waltrick shot. Barbara Sodre stabbed. North of the border, Mercedes Williamson was murdered at the age of 17. We know more about her than we know about Priscilla da Silva. We know she was shot. We know Francella Mendes Rodriguez went to see her friend Consuela and didn't come back. 
What do you know of Carol Mello, Andrea Amado, the unknown woman found in a shallow Brazilian grave, Kelly Silva or Quane de Silva? We know one was strangled, another was shot. All we know of one is her body was found. We know one was stabbed in neck and arm, defensive wounds, and one shot in the head. We know that Laura Vermont was seen running from Sao Paulo police. Two of them murdered her. Think about that. And why we know so little of the others. And think about Jasmine Collins, reported dead by her dead name for months, stabbed by a cis woman, the police said in an argument about some shoes. The same day, Sydney Arujo Claudino was shot in a drive-by. We know less of Bruna J. Mendes, only that she was shot multiple times, as with another unknown woman in Brazil the following day. Daya Rani Kinna ran for office in Uttar Pradesh. The killers ran from her home as a train thundered past. And days later, another unknown woman stabbed to death in Brazil. Vanity of three deaths, India Nascimento, Ella Radota, Vanessa Kalacha, the barely half gone, and the next day, Ashton O'Hara found dead in a field in Detroit. Two days later, Eric Aguilera shot in the back in Dolados, a girl called only Gabby beaten to death in Valparaiso de Goya. Two days later, another three deaths. India Clark shot in the head in Tampa, Florida. Nephew Luther's shot in the head in Georgetown, Guyana, another unknown woman found in Alicante, Spain. In Fresno, California, Casey Haggard leans into the window of a car. A minute later, the driver she speaks to will slash her neck and drive away. The next day in Brazil, another unknown woman, dead. Days later, Shade Schuler dead in Dallas, a body found in foliage in Brazil. The name we have been given is Patricia. With that, the dark summer began. Amber Monroe shot in Detroit, not for the first or second time, this one, the last. Candice Capri shot in Phoenix, and they say nobody knows why. Tamara Dominguez ran over multiple times by an SUV. Every time I cross the road, I worry that this will be the intersection where a car speeds up instead of slowing down. Alicia Walker's body dug up from her shallow grave. VHA Dos Santos shot multiple times in Brazil. Another Brazilian woman, Flower, beaten to death. This was August. And in September, while Escariala was stabbed 27 times, Marcela Chocobar was found, her body burned beyond the recognition of the eye. Only her DNA remained to tell the story. And in Brazil, Paulinha. All we have is her first name, the location Rio Grande do Norte, the cause of death, gunshots to the head and to the chest. Cien Alves de Matos Jr., stabbed and dismembered, 21 years old. On the same day, Fernanda Olmos, one of three in Argentina whose murders will be noted by her president, but not until the third. Ellie de Souza, found in landfill with a knife stuck in her neck. And Keisha Jenkins was beaten by half a dozen men, shot in the back twice when she fell. Please admit the possibility. Her murder may be connected to her gender identity is something we are definitely looking into. Connected also to the colour of her skin. Admit the intersections of black and white, of rich and poor, of global north and global south. Connected to the death of Rafaela Capucci, yet another in Brazil. And the third Argentinian death, Diana Sakayan. Her country's most well-known trans activist. If she could die, then who else might? It only takes one knife, one gun, one angry fist, one car, one flash of hating recognition in the eyes. A coin spins at the edge of a moment, becomes a hurricane of coins, a kaleidoscope, a superposition. It will always fall one of two ways. It fell wrong for Zella Zayona, surrounded by four or five people. 
one of whom reached for a gun. And most recently, a time of writing for Yoshi Tsushida. And this is a line I wrote last night. But I write his name down knowing between today and tomorrow there can always be more. And half an hour before we opened the doors for this show tonight, I found out via Twitter that a trans woman in the UK being held in a male prison in Leeds, a woman called Vicky Thompson, has been found dead in her cell in that prison. This is because the British Ministry of Justice, unless immense pressure is put on them, as in the case of Tara Hudson earlier this month, unless immense pressure is put on them, the British Ministry of Justice will not allow trans women to be held in female prisons unless they have a gender recognition certificate. Acquiring a gender recognition certificate requires paying quite a large amount of money. It requires the submittal of documents to a panel of people who never see you it is a classist process. It is a process which is massively discriminatory, and it can decide whether you wind up in prison among men or among women. It can, in effect, decide whether you spend every day of your prison sentence being sexually harassed. It can, as we've found, decide whether your sentence is a death sentence or not. Um, I talked about how this show changed in the way that it was written for Newcastle, the way it was written for Edinburgh, the way it appeared at the end of the Edinburgh run. The poem I'm going to do now is not a poem that I actually put in the script for tonight, but it's a poem about someone else who was a trans woman who was imprisoned. It's about a trans woman who was imprisoned in a male prison. It's a poem called Letter to a Minnesota Prison, and it's dedicated to a woman called Cece MacDonald. Um, I wrote it for Apples and Snakes and the Paul Hamlin Foundation, and it goes like this. Your check bounced, Cece. That was held against you. They said it showed the content of your character. They never said a word about the swastika tattooed on the body of the man they say you murdered, nor the fact he yelled, go back to Africa, though you were as American as he was. They talked about your check, and not the one King tried to cash in Washington. The one dated 7476 that said all men are created equal. In school, they say for men, read people. But we know that isn't true. For men, read white. For men, read male assigned at birth and happy to be so. For men, read Thomas Jefferson, fathering children on his slaves. For men, read Hoover, closeted, obsessed with sin and plague. For men, read Ronald Reagan. For men, read James Earl Ray. For men, read us. In killer's eyes. The eyes of those who beat Crane Conaway to death, who shot Dione Jones, who gagged Rosita Hidalgo, stabbed her body, slit her throat, who shot Coco Williams, who shot Tyrrell Jackson, who shot Paige Clay in the face, who shot Brandy Martell, who burned Lorena Escalera's house down, choking her with smoke, who shot Tracy Johnson again and again, who stabbed Tiffany Gooden again and again, who shot Deja Jones, who shot Kendall Hampton, who put a gun to Kyra Cordova's head and pulled the trigger. American eyes looked down those barrels. American lives flashed by in the light of those blades. These are only the murders in 2012. These are just the American names. 
And they are black names and Latino names, the kind that whites turn down when they are written on CVs that we insist will need ID when passing checks, which if they bounce, prove criminality. The willingness cold-bloodedly to kill a man. White names can get away with murder. Look at Zimmerman. They said he was threatened. Well, what about you? They said he was frightened. Weren't you frightened too? He carried a gun and you only had scissors. But they read him as white and he wasn't transitioning and so occupied a much safer position in the hierarchy they say isn't there. White, straight and cis beats black, trans and queer. They said all men created equal. They told us for men read people, but we were read wrong when we came into the world. Black or white names, some nurse, some doctor, branded boy on us. To be named is to be destroyed. To be entered in the register of births, to be erased. We spend our lives like Virginia, dragging around our colonial names. The names in the murder reports, the obituaries. That time in the car when I could barely breathe, I gasped to my ex as she drove me to hospital. Make sure they use the right words at my funeral. Did you think that, Cece? When you were attacked, when the truth of who we are conflicts with their facts, their records, certificates, burden of proof falls on us and we can't testify when we're dead. It's a double bind. Die and your corpse gets misgendered. Fight back and be sentenced for having defended your life. We aren't the ones stand your ground laws intend to protect. They expect us to dutifully beat a retreat from abuse. Blessed they say are the meek. But how many times, Cece, did you turn the other cheek? How many times can you just walk away? Avoid causing trouble. Keep playing it safe till you finally decide that you just cannot take it. You didn't attack. You talked back. Remonstrated. And in taking that act, Cece, you demonstrated what they hate most of all, calm and reasoned defiance, satyagraha, soul force. They met it with violence, as they would in Ferguson, the Missouri campus. It's true, you fought back then. You offered resistance that was active, not pacifist. But comfy white cis folks who style themselves pacifists have no clue what the stakes are. The gunshots which kill us are silenced. You fought. Who wouldn't? In fear of their life. And you won. That's why they hate you, CC. You survived. And I don't really know how you end a show when you're dealing with something like that. I think you have to hope that there is some kind of hope. And I guess really that that hope is, is you. I joked about making a tightly knit revolutionary group at the start of this show. I'm a fat, queer, trans person with an obvious axe to grind. Um, people are going to take me less seriously than they will take you. Um, I don't have a bucket pitch. Um, please put money in the bucket. Um, in a capitalist society, money is violence, but if you're pure, it's self-defense. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that I didn't think that was <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there is going to be a petition up the guy who's the current prisons minister in the UK is a guy called Andrew Sellers 
Andrew Sellis is a, an extremely religious person. Andrew Sellis voted against the Gender Recognition Act. Andrew Sellis voted against same-sex marriage. Um, Andrew Sellis is in charge of a prisons ministry that locks up trans women in male prisons because they don't have a gender recognition certificate. I'm pretty sure tonight there is going to be a petition going around asking for his resignation. Um, I'm Anathema Jane on Twitter, which is what the AJ and AJ McKenna stands for. I'm Anathema Jane McKenna on Facebook. If you um, have a look on there, I will put a link on that petition. I'd really like it if you would sign it. And maybe we can explain to the Justice Ministry that we don't want that state of affairs to continue. There has to be some hope and it has to start in whispers, rehearsed behind closed doors. Mirror practiced gestures, slowly savored words, jacquard, damask, devoray. Rolled and tasted on the tongue, it is always sotto voce, this song, when first it is sung. And for some, it never rises to a higher tone and pitch. For some, the song is silenced by the insults, by the fists, by a slow and steady grinding or a sudden hateful act, by the endless daily sniping, by a world of turning backs. But I hope our song keeps growing, and I pray that it gets loud to the point where there is no one who cannot hear its sound, to the point where every single voice that wants us quiet drowns in a never-ending chorus, in a sea of singers proud, no more content to sit and listen, cowed to silence by the noise of those who tell us that we're twisted, who say that it's a choice, when we can no more choose these feelings and our skin can pick its shade. But there is one thing we can choose, and that's not to be afraid. Thank you for your time. Well, yeah, I mean, I said at the beginning of the night to expect tragedy, and there's been a lot of tragedy uh, on this stage, and uh, that's what I welcome, really, at Stand Up Tragedy. That's kind of what this space is supposed to be about, talking about the hard things that we don't talk about generally, and I think that's a very important thing to do. <coughs> uh, speaking of which, I'm taking a break uh, from doing Stand Up Tragedy for a year. Um, next year, I won't be doing it, um, but I will be doing it again, um, and I may be doing Stand Up Tragedy Presents next year, and if you'd like to find out about what's going on with those things, then uh, go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk or follow Stand Up Tragedy on Twitter, which is at Stand Up for Tragedy, the number four, because somebody got the, uh, got the name before I did and uh, is using it to do nothing useful, um, and never mind. Uh, you can find Stand Up Tragedy on Facebook where you can make friends with the tragedy. Uh, and there's four years of tragedy uh, on our podcast, like four years of back uh, performances, including some performances by AJ, other performances by me. We've just had some amazing shows over the last four years, and it's all there in audio form, recorded by our excellent sound technician at the back half, um, that you can listen to at your leisure during this year when I'm having a break where I can try to make some money from something. Uh, and now, everybody, the tragedy is over.
like I said at the beginning of the show, look out on the 18th of February for Stand Up Tragedy Presents at the Dog Star in Brixton, where I'll be doing my show, What About the Men Mansplaining Masculinity, and Jambi McGrath will be doing her show, A Last Dance with My Father. Both of those shows are very dark and tragic, which is appropriate because of our night. Uh, They're also about, you know, some real personal, real things. And so come and listen to our personal, real things and see what you think. Follow Stand Up Tragedy on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. Like us or friend us on Facebook. Make friends with a tragedy. Check out our website www.standuptragedy.co.uk We're fully intending to come back and do more shows in 2017. Maybe go to Edinburgh again. I don't know. That's in the future. But Stand Up Tragedy is not dead. We're just sleeping. So, for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast has been produced by me with sound production from Stephen Harvey with music at the beginning from Sam Wilkinson and playing us out with The Tragedy Is Over, George Brufton and The Reactionaries.